This is Audible. To Professor Seal, my sister in Christ, I thank you for this high honor. As Frank never raised an offering in five cities, I've never preached in five. In the third chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark, verses 1 through 6, the New Revised Standard translates the passage as follows. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. I want you to pray with us tonight on the subject in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. That first sentence in Mark 3 has enough explosive material in it to preach a whole series of sermons. That first verse in Mark 3 has enough inspiration in it to help somebody make it through another week. That first picture presented in the opening words of Mark 3 has enough truth in it to start somebody to shout. And if you just stop and think about what the word of God is saying to us in 15 little words. Start, if you will, with just the word again. Again means this is not the first time that the Lord has done this. Again means this is no new activity, no new behavior, no new exercise in spirituality. Again means Jesus had already been where he's going in this passage. Again means Jesus had already engaged in what he's engaging in now. Again means Jesus already knew something about being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. Again, the text says he entered the synagogue. Jesus knew what a whole lot of us know. Jesus knew that being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day does something for your soul and does something for your spirit that that sex can't do, that sports can't do, that parties can't do, that the fraternity can't do, that the sorority can't do that nothing else can do. There's something about hearing the songs of Zion in the Lord's house that does something to you that is almost indescribable. See, you can turn on gospel radio and hear those same songs. You can you can buy a tape or CD and play those same songs. You can do like I do, go get you the Richard Smallwood video and watch and enjoy those same songs. But neither radio, tape, CD, or video can touch that spiritual nerve way down deep on the inside, like being in the Lord's house in this setting can do. See, there's, some, there's something about mingling your voice with other voices. And some songs, you know, you can sing all by yourself. You, you do it in the shower, shower, you do it riding down the street. You can sing your little solo and act like you Luther, act like you Kirk Franklin. But there's some songs that you need other folk to help you sing. So you can't do this by yourself. I, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. 
So you can't do that alone. One of my friends, one of my friends has been flirting with the theology and the sociology of another religion for several years now. He, he says that the teachings of self-pride and self-worth make him conscious of how important it is to be a black man with integrity and dignity. He says that, that the teaching of support for your own black businesses and support for your own black professionals makes him conscious of the need for self-determination and self-definition and self-affirmation. That's what he says. He reads all of their books and he studies all of their doctrine, but he keeps on hanging around the black church. We have a six o'clock service that we've had now for 14 years, and every Sunday night I look up in the balcony, and he's up in the balcony, praising God. I said, well, why don't you just cut us loose? He says, there's something about hearing the music in this setting, songs my mama used to sing, songs that remind me of a love that is stronger than hate, a God who is mightier than our mess, and a transcendence that transforms the trash of our society. Something about being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day that feeds my spirit, he says, like nothing else can do. So the text says, again, Jesus had his feet in the path that led him to the Lord's house. How did David put it? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Again, Jesus was going to the Lord's house. Again, he was going to sing. Again, he was going to pray. Again, he was going to listen. Again, he was going to be fed. Again, somebody say again. Again, he was going to be in the presence of him who says, I am the Lord and I change not. Again, the text says he entered the synagogue. Again, he went into the Lord's house. And verse 2 tells us it was on the Lord's day. He was in the Lord's house again on the Lord's day. And a man was there who had a withered hand. I love it. I love it. I love it. I tell you, there's, there's more in this one sentence that can fit in any one sermon. Look at, look at it. A man with a withered hand. Look at it. Look at him. A man with a serious problem. Look, look at it. A man with a situation that seemed unsolvable. A man with a condition that was not going to change. A man with something wrong with him that everybody knew about. You know, a lot of us got some stuff wrong with us. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm saying that wrong. Somebody's going to miss it. Not here, but in one of those other cities. So, so let me put it another way. Everybody got something wrong with them. Ain't nobody in here perfect. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Just look at them. Just look. Don't say nothing. Just look at them. Now turn back and put a smile on your face. And tell them this. Say, tell them, say, something wrong with you. Now, now turn on the other side and say, me too. Everybody got something going on in their lives. Everybody has some area where they need a little work. Everybody has something that's wrong with them. But, but see, some of us got stuff that's wrong with us that we can keep hidden. We got stuff. What's that psychological word they use now, doc? It's issue. Some of us got issues that other folk don't know about. We keep our stuff away from the public's eye. That's, that's some of us. But then there are others of us, and we got stuff going on in our life that everybody knows. About, I never will forget, 20 years ago, one of the teenagers who was a teenager when I went to the church, who's grown up in the church, she came running out of choir rehearsal one night crying. And I stopped in the narthex. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I can't stand all them hypocrites in there. I said, what hypocrites? All those girls up there pregnant. With no husband. 
I said, well, how many girls is it? And she went to turn around and said, no, look at me. Look at me. Tell me how many girls up there pregnant with no husband. She counted mentally. She said, I think it's six. I said, well, how many women are up there in the choir? Said, no, no, don't turn around. Look at me. How many women in that choir? She said, 50? I said, no, no, it's 85. Look at it, count. And you're going to get upset that six girls out of 85, all them hypocrites, you lump them all together, right? I said, there's something else that's more important because I know you. You know, I'm like God and Moses. This is you and me. This is your pastor. Okay? Just let me ask you one question. Uh, do you use birth control or diaphragm? She said, birth control. She, she can keep her stuff hidden. Everybody can't keep their stuff hidden. And this man, this man of Marx, we had stuff that everybody knew about. This man had something wrong with him that was public knowledge. This man, look, as a matter of fact, look at the text. Mark doesn't even call the man's name. The only reason he made the holy record was because he had something wrong with him. The only reason his story gets in here is because of his stuff. He was known as what? The man with the withered hand. If his hand had not been withered, wouldn't nobody have even noticed him. He would not have stood out in the crowd. You know him, don't you? Don't you know him? He, he was the man with the withered hand. He, he was the man who had something wrong with him. Everybody knew about his stuff. Come on, he was the man who's, who's HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I heard it was full-blown AIDS. You can look at him and see something wrong with him. Well, how did he get it? Somebody told me it was drugs. Well, I don't mean no harm, but I heard he was gay. I ain't never seen him with no woman, have you? Okay, okay, okay. You, you know the man, don't you? You know the man? He, he, he's the man with the unchangeable situation in his life. He's the man who is permanently marked by something over which he has no control. And everybody sits around speculating about who did what to make him end up the way he is. It's nature. Well, the wine and say it's unnatural. It's nurture. He didn't have no strong male image in the house. It's God's punishment on the left-handed people. You, you know who this man is, don't you? He's the man with the withered hand. He's the one with something wrong with him that everybody knows about. He's the man who's different, and because he was different, the society, no, the church branded him as deficient. And look at the text just one more time. Look at this text. Look, if you will, just that first verse. Look at if you will, at where he is. He is in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. You don't let, look, look what the text is teaching us, you don't let whatever is wrong with you keep you from coming into the Lord's house on the Lord's day. You don't let what is going on in your life, you, you don't let your issues, you, you don't let whatever your situation is, you don't let stuff that can't be changed, you don't let situations over which you have no control, you don't let your sexuality, you don't let your gender preferences, you don't let your condition, HIV or full-blown AIDS, you don't let things everybody knows about, situations everybody is talking about, stuff everybody can see, you don't let stuff everybody's got in the opinion about. I love this text. You don't let public opinion or personal pain keep you from coming into the Lord's house. The church, the church is the one place 
where you can get from God just what you need. The church is the one place where you can get from on high just what you need when you're feeling low. The church is the one place where God can give you what the world can't give you, and God can give you what the world can't take away in the Lord's house. You can get your soul fed. You can get your spirit led in the Lord's house. You can get your hope restored and your faith renewed. When the storms of life have beat you up, the Lord of life will pick you up. They used to sing a song in the church where I was growing up. The song was entitled, Come Ye Disconsolate. And the couplet from that song which says it's best is here, here at the mercy seat. Here, bring your wounded heart. Here, tell your anguish. When situations get you down, the God of salvation will get you up. Here in the Lord's house, you can tell Jesus all your troubles. Here in the Lord's house, you can kneel at the altar, pray and tell God anything you want to. Here in the Lord's house, you can find joy that is unspeakable, love that is unconditional, and grace that is still sufficient. Somebody just missed what I said. Not somebody here, not somebody here. Somebody watching the satellite feed. It was a high pitch. Went right over somebody's head. Let me bring it down into the strike zone where they can get a hold of it. Unconditional love means love for HIV-positive people, love for full-blown AIDS people, and love for all of God's people. Unconditional love means no conditions. God did not put conditions on God's love, and God does not put conditions like we do. Plus, we got this problem where when we don't like somebody, we don't want God to like them either. But God's love is unconditional. God loves folk you don't love. God loves gays and God loves lesbians. Whoop, there it is. Unconditional love. Here in the Lord's house is the one place where you can find unconditional love. This text says, you don't let what's going on in your life keep you away from the house of him, the Lord who gave you your life. Who cares about other people and what they know about your business? Huh? He's the man with the withered hand. Who cares what other people say about your condition? I know how he got that withered hand, too. You ain't coming to the Lord's house to worry about them. You're coming to the Lord's house to worship him. So look at, look at this brother in the text. He came to worship. Withered hand and all. He came to worship unchangeable circumstances in his life he came to worship stuff going on over which he had no control he came to worship a painful situation that everybody knew about and most folk were talking about he came to worship he did not let his human pain keep him away from God's holy power he came to worship if somebody could just learn that one lesson from this text it would make a major difference in your life you don't let what is going on in your personal life keep you away from the Lord's house you come and worship him. You don't let what somebody might say or what somebody might think keep you away from the Lord's house. You come and worship him. You don't let what other people think or do cut you off from the source of your strength, block you from getting into the presence of the strength of your life, or steal the joy that from the God of your salvation in the Lord's house. You come and worship him. He promised to meet you here. You come and worship him. It ain't no concern of yours why them other folk are here. You just come and worship him. The man with the withered hand came to worship. He was in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And he was about to be blessed beyond his wildest dream. 
You hook up with the Lord in the Lord's house, and the Lord will bless you like you've never been blessed before. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, look, look at, the, look at verse 2. I'm still in verse 1. Wait a minute. Before you can get to the blessing, look at the text. The very next thing you'll see before you can get to the blessing, look at verse 2. You see, some blessing blockers. I'm in the text. Look at your, look at your neighbor. Don't say nothing. Look back down at the word. Look at the word. Blessing blockers. The first word in the New Revised Standard Translation in verse 2 is they. Who, who is the they? Blessing blockers. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath. Stop right there. Look what the text is saying. saying next. There are some folks in the Lord's house on the Lord's day who are in the right place, but they're in the right place for all the wrong reasons. They didn't come to worship. Look at verse 2. They came to watch. It says they, they watched. I love this verse. They watched. Come on, come on. Some folk can't worship because they're too busy. Watch them. Look, 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 look. See who she's sitting next to? Mm hmm, mm hmm. Yeah. Ain't that the man with AIDS? Mm hmm, mm hmm. Look what Reverend Richardson got on. Wonder why his old lady don't buy him some new shoes. You, you can't concentrate on him because you're too busy watching them. You can't worship for watching. They watch him. Everybody in the right place ain't in the right place for the right reasons. Some folk come with scorn on the agenda. They watch him. Some folk come with sarcasm on the agenda. They watch him instead of what? Did you come to watch tonight or did you come to worship? Some folk, the years have taught me, can't praise God because they're too busy watching other people. And this is even worse. Some people can't praise God because they're self-conscious about who? Watching them. Don't you let the washer stop you from worshiping. Those who came to watch have only one agenda and one agenda only, and that's blocking blessings. Jesus wants to bless, and they want to block. They don't want you to get what God is trying to give. They don't want you to have what the Lord has in store for you. They're miserable, and they want you miserable right along with them. They're in the right place. For the wrong reasons, they are blessing blockers. Say blessing blockers. Y'all know the blessing blockers, don't you? Them the folk who don't never smile. Look at your neighbor and see what they look like. They sit up in service like they had a seance. Folk on their feet, praising God, worshiping the Lord, lifting up holy, and the blessing blockers are mad. It don't take all that. <laughs> Trying to block your blessings and blocking their own blessings in the process. You, you know the blessing blockers, don't you? They didn't come to worship. They came to watch. Somebody shout over here. Instead of giving God the praise, they watch. Somebody start praising God over here, and instead of them thanking God, they watch. Somebody go up in the balcony, go out, and they run down here to watch. You know the blessing blockers, don't you? They're always critical. They're critical. They can, they can find some fault with the service. You know, this song was too long. 
The choir knew Vanessa Bell Armstrong had to come on. Why'd they keep on singing? How long are you going to take to offer them? Why don't you ask for 125 and ask for 250? <laughs> Always quick. Find something wrong. The organ was too loud. They tell me this one all the time. My home church kind of, the sermon was too short. Reverend, Reverend, just when I was getting ready to shout, you cut it off. I said, well, you don't shout because of what I say. You shout because of what the Lord has done in your life. The song doesn't say, when I think about Jerry and what he said for me. No, it says, when I think about Jesus and what he's done for me. That's why you shout. Blessing blockers can always find something wrong. Because they didn't come to worship, they came to watch. You know the blessing blockers, don't you? Those are the folk in some churches who don't want other folk in their churches. They don't want a certain class, blessing blockers. They don't want a certain color, blessing blockers. They definitely don't want certain condition, blessing blockers. And they will try their best to keep you from getting what God is trying to give you. And unfortunately, some churches and some church people are just like the watchers in this text. Not all, not all churches, thank God. I have a friend whose congregation uses the common cup for communion, Reverend Williams, and they have a member with full-blown AIDS. So do you know what they do for communion service in their church? They let the brother with AIDS drink first so that they won't give him any of their virus infections and colds. Thank God some churches are conduits for the blessings of God, and some churches serve as conductors to hook up the grace of God with the people who need God's grace the most. But other churches are just like this church in Capernaum. They are full of blessing blockers. But that leads to the ultimate lesson this text teaches us, which is this. You don't let the blessing blockers keep you from getting what the blessing giver is trying to give you. You don't let how other folk feel about the Lord. And these folk didn't like the Lord in this text. Some of our behaviors and some of our churches send the same message. That's what Dr. Elvis was talking about. We're so busy being religious, we can't be Christian. We don't like the Lord, and we especially don't like some of the folk that the Lord blesses. But you don't let how other folk feel with their private agendas, like these folk in verse 2. You don't let the gatekeepers, the watchers, the plotters, the gossips, and the one who just don't get it. You don't let homophobes, you don't let other people mess up your relationship with the Lord. You don't let how other folk act or what other folk think get in between you and the Lord. When, when the Lord calls you like he called this man, you respond to the Lord. You don't react to them. You respond to him. The key to our faith and the key to this passage is relational. You respond out of faith, and faith means relationship. A lot of people try to understand our faith on the basis of scholarship, but our faith can only be understood on the basis of relationship. See, there is a different epistemological paradigm at work when it, when it comes to our faith. Faith means relationship, not scholarship. And that principle was best illustrated for me in the story that I shared at the Essence Festival. I knew when I shared it with Susan Taylor at the Essence Festival, I should have put my name all over because now I've seen it on the Internet coming from Norway. My story. This is my story. I went to the University of Chicago Divinity School. And that place is a very strange place in terms of training ministers because they never intended to train ministers. They, they intended to train trained theologians and scholars to teach ministers. In fact, our school, school is so cold and messes up so many people's minds that they accuse us when we graduate from U of C of not being able to believe in nothing no more. We come out saying, for God so loved the world as it were, that he gave his only begotten son, so to speak, that whosoever believeth on him to a certain extent 
should not perish but have everlasting life after a fashion. But what most people don't know about the University of Chicago is that it is a Baptist school. The Rockefeller Chapel sits right there on the campus. That's how Jim Forbes' church was built. Same model, by Rockefeller money. It's a Baptist school. And to, to give their nod toward God each year, what they do is have what they call Baptist Day. When I was a student back in 1969 through 75, they had Baptist Day. And on Baptist Day, they invite all the Baptists to come up to the school, spend the day on the school, hear two or three lectures by powerful professors, and talking, rub elbows with the scholars, and they give you a sack, tell you to bring a sack lunch, and they give you that saved punch that's all over the world. You know that red punch that's in every denomination? That's what they give you. You bring your own lunch. Sack lunch means bring your own lunch. And about 71, 72, it was back in the death of God days, when Hugh Schoenfeld had written that book, uh, The Passover Plot and Those Incredible Christians. One of the theologians stood up and lectured for an hour and 45 minutes proving Proving archaeologically, proving textually, proving quoting scholars, biblical scholars, that there was no such thing as the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus did not get up from the dead. It was just something, a message of hope that the early church used to make Christians not give up and to have hope. That, in fact, Matthew's right. The disciples came and moved the body. That's why for an hour and 45 minutes, he quoted Schleiermacher, he quoted Nietzsche, he quoted Hegel, or he had airtight. And at the end of his lecture, he said, are there any questions? And it was so quiet. Now, it's a room full of Baptist preachers. It was so quiet in that sanctuary, you could hear a rat urinate on cotton at 200 yards. You telling a room full of preachers, most of them black, that Jesus did not get up from the dead. One old, old gray-haired black preacher sit up in the back of Swift Hall reached into a sack lunch and pulled out an apple. He said, Doc, I ain't been to none of them places you've been talking about. <laughs> and um, I remember reading something about Schleiermacher and Hegel and <laughs> a couple of them boys, but I ain't been to no Qumran. <laughs> Seen no Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> but I do have a question. <laughs> and my question is this. Was the apple I just ate bitter or was it sweet? And the professor said, I have no existential knowledge to be able to address that inquiry. I did not taste the apple. He said, well, that's what I want to tell you about my Jesus. You ain't tasted him either. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I tried him for myself. And he's sweet. I know. I'll tell the world wherever I go that I have found a savior. And he's sweet. I know. Jeremiah. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.